You're listening to Take as Directed, a podcast on global health policy and the news, events, issues, and the people it affects. And the problem is the world is in a shortage of vaccine. The health system perpetuates gender inequalities and restrictive gender norms. Because stigma, shame, and fear is what drives this disease and keeps it in the dark. I'm Steve Morrison, director of the Global Health Policy Center at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. In this podcast, you'll hear conversations led either by me or by my colleagues, Sarah Allender, Janet Fleischman, and Nellie Bristol, who serve as recurring hosts. We interview leaders fighting against malaria, polio, HIV AIDS, the opioids epidemic, some of the biggest public health challenges of our time. Hello, and welcome to the Take Us Directed podcast. I'm Nellie Bristol. On October 24th this year, World Polio Day, wild polio virus type 3 was declared eradicated, a significant global milestone. With wild virus type 2 having been eradicated in 2015, only type 1 remains. But the world faces a new threat from circulating vaccine-derived polioviruses, which emerge in areas of low immunization coverage and can have the same paralyzing effects as the wild virus. As the number of vaccine-derived cases has exceeded wild virus cases and appeared in a range of countries, polio experts are searching for ways to contain the outbreaks. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. John Vertefe, Polio Eradication Branch Chief and Incident Manager for Polio Emergency Response from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Today, we will explain what vaccine-derived polio is, how it threatens polio eradication, and the CDC's planned deployment of additional technical experts to stop these outbreaks. John, thank you very much for joining us today. You're most welcome. Happy to talk to you today. So maybe we can just start at the beginning and you can explain to us what vaccine-derived polio is. So vaccine-derived poliovirus is a very rare reversion of this live virus vaccine to being able to cause uh, disease. It only occurs very rarely, and it also only occurs in populations that have low levels of immunization in the background. So if you can imagine, because this is a live virus vaccine, you can have this mutation occur in a reversion to neurovirulence, which basically means that it can cause paralysis. Uh, If you have high levels of immunity in the population, it won't have any place to go. But when immunity levels are lower, that reverted virus can actually make its way uh, through the population and start uh, circulating. And when that happens, it's what we call circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus. And so what is the level of these vaccine-derived cases now, and where are they? So we predominantly see this occur, as I mentioned, in places that have low routine immunization coverage levels. And so in the current year, we're seeing cases occur in several countries in Africa, as well as in Pakistan, in the Philippines. And so these tend to uh, focus on geographies within those countries that have low levels of immunization. And the rates that we're seeing as of the 23rd of October, the number of cases that we saw this year was 102. Okay. And how does that compare to last year? So last year, for the whole year, we had 104 cases of circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus of any type. And of course, we are now at the end of October Uh, And with several outbreaks uh, ongoing, uh, we do expect that we will exceed last year's numbers. And why are these outbreaks occurring now? What's driving them? Well, 
In 2015, wild poliovirus type 2 was declared eradicated. And it's always been part of the plan, recognizing that the, the cornerstone for eradication efforts has been the use of oral polio vaccine, which is live and attenuated, that after eradication, we would need to uh, remove these live vaccines. And as a result of that, we might have to manage outbreaks of different types of these circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus. And so uh, following the eradication of type 2 in 2015, the globe withdrew live type 2 oral polio vaccine from routine immunization systems and from use in supplemental immunization activities. So uh, this has been referred to as the switch, uh, which occurred in April and May of 2016. So if you can imagine from 2016 to now, we've not been using that live type 2 vaccine routinely. However, at that point in time when the switch occurred, any national or subnational areas that had lower immunity represented areas of vulnerability for the emergence and potential spread of the circulating vaccine derived poliovirus type 2. And so what we're seeing in the current year really is a manifestation of that. And so those areas with lower immunity than would be necessary to have this population herd immunity had emergence of these viruses and then the spread of these viruses. To respond to that, we did have and do have monovalent oral polio vaccine type 2 available. And it's a vaccine that's released and used only for outbreak response to circulating vaccine-derived type 2 polio. Its release requires approval of the Director General of WHO because of the global switch away from the use of this vaccine. So in responding to those outbreaks that occurred in 2017 and 2018, we've been using a fair amount of this, what we call MOPV2 or monovalent OPV2. And one of the things that has happened is that in the period that we've been using this, the populations that aren't using it have started to see further decline in immunity to type 2. And as a result, uh, this year, what we've been seeing is that when we're using this vaccine, and it is absolutely necessary to use this vaccine to stop these outbreaks, if we don't get an even high coverage of vaccination, you can see more emergent viruses, and then we have to respond to those. Uh, and so that's sort of the phenomenon that we've been seeing this year. So was that expected or is this considered a setback? I remember reading that there are more cases than what have been expected. Somebody at WHO described this to me as a crisis. I don't know if you would put it at that level, but what are your thoughts on that? Sure, thanks. And I think that what was expected was that we were going to have to do this work. What was unexpected was the number of outbreaks that we have been seeing, and also how quickly the background population immunity has uh, potentially impacted the generation of new outbreaks. This is uh, definitely something that we're concerned about this year, and we've been actively engaged in uh, aggressive outbreak response and developing and implementing strategies to address this. It is on the continuum of work, though, of seeing eradication, not just of the wild viruses, but also the validation of the absence of these circulating vaccine-derived viruses. That has been a continuum of work that was anticipated for quite a while. I think the difference is just the volume is higher than what we would have liked at this point.
And so what does this mean for eradication in terms of costs and timeline at this point? So I think we have to separate out a little bit the wild viruses and the vaccine-derived viruses. The, cu- the current plan for eradication is that each of the wild viruses, uh, when there's the demonstrated absence of their transmission, is reviewed by Global Certification Committee and determined to be uh, eradicated. And so that happened in 2015 with type two wild polio virus. And it happened last Thursday on World Polio Day, October 24th with wild polio virus type three. Currently we have active transmission of wild polio virus type one in two countries, Afghanistan and Pakistan. Therefore, the three-year clock uh, for determining with good surveillance whether or not there is interruption of transmission hasn't started for that third type of wild virus yet. After the wild virus is a process by which we remove the vaccine, the live vaccine, uh, and then we manage any outbreaks of CVDPV. And after that, the Global Certification Committee will come in and validate the absence of those vaccine-derived polioviruses. Because we still have active transmission of type 1 wild virus, uh, it's hard to determine how the current outbreaks that we're seeing uh, and if they will impact uh, certification timelines. It's very early for that at the moment. And I think the next year to two uh, will tell us uh, a lot more about uh, the trajectory for this and, and how it may impact us longer term. The other part of your question was about the costs, and no doubt uh, the outbreak costs are considerable. In the current year, we estimate that we'll spend about $110 million responding to these outbreaks, and there are additional vaccine costs that were not expected to be as high as they've been running because we have used so many doses of this vaccine. That said, uh, the current outbreak budgets have been managed within the GPI multi-year budget. And so we've been offsetting these costs by prioritizing outbreak and reducing some of the other things uh, that have been done. The program is uh, routinely assessing its budgetary needs to determine whether or not this reaches a level that we will need additional resources. But right now it's being managed within the current available uh, budgets. Does that mean that there are SIAs that were planned or supplemental immunization activities that were planned in other places that you're having to skip to put the money towards outbreaks? Or how is that working? Thanks for that question. Yeah, so those are some of the choices that we've been making, because in a typical calendar, the program will actually assess, globally assess, where the greatest needs are for the delivery of supplemental immunization activities. So keep in mind, every country has a routine immunization system The type of vaccine used varies in different places. In some places, they just use inactivated polio vaccine. In other places, they use bivalent or oral polio vaccine in combination with inactivated vaccine. And that bivalent vaccine provides protection against polio type 1 and type 3. In looking at programmatic priorities every year, uh, we do a risk assessment of all countries in the world to determine where those routine systems are not likely to meet thresholds of immunity that are as high as we would like. And through that, we determine the whole schedule of supplemental immunization activities that'll occur for the year. And so in some countries that on the scheme of things may not have had the level of immunity that we would like in an ideal world, uh, but have lower immunity to places that are at the highest risk of 
emergent CVDPV1 or 3, we have had to make the determination to defer uh, those rounds to a future year and actually focus on outbreaks of circulating vaccine-derived virus this year. Okay, well, one more question along these lines. Does this instance provide some lessons learned or some ways forward for when OPV is completely taken out of immunization systems? Are you going to face similar issues then? Yeah, thanks, Nellie. I understand that given the current outbreaks, some people have wondered whether the switch away from the use of trivalent vaccine in 2016 uh, was a good idea. As somebody who works in this every day, I'm really glad that the switch happened. It reduced type 2 related vaccine associated poliovirus because the vaccine was taken out of the routine systems. And yes, while we have outbreaks at higher levels than we anticipated for circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus type 2, the numbers are still quite low compared to the amount of paralysis that's been prevented through the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. Uh, In fact, we've seen uh, since the beginning of the initiative, through the course of it, the aversion of uh, 18 million uh, paralytic cases of polio. And so 18 million kids that would have otherwise been paralyzed by polio were not. And to date, uh, we've seen less than 1,200 circulating vaccine-derived polio viruses since we've recorded uh, their existence. So I think we have to keep that scale in mind and also recognize that's on the face of the delivery of billions of doses of OPV. Coming back to your point about what the outbreaks that we're observing right now tell us about uh, the future, I think they tell us about the work that we need to do in advance of cessation. Cessation is the term that we use uh, to talk about the complete withdrawal of all oral polio vaccine. And I think that the lessons we've learned now is that in, in places that we knew to be at elevated risk, while there were actions taken in advance of the switch to bring up the immunity in those places, it did not sufficiently bring up that immunity. And so there's a lot of focus and effort within the partnership right now on focusing on places of elevated risk and taking concrete actions to bring up those immunity levels in advance of the withdrawal of bivalent OPV when we get to that point after we interrupt transmission of wild poliovirus type 1. Well, and to your point about the number of cases and the number of wild virus cases that would have occurred, the reason that the GPEI pulled out the type 2 from OPV first was because it was causing the most vaccine-derived cases before this all happened anyway. So the initial goal was to get rid of that. Yeah, I think that a couple of things I would say about that. The first is that upon eradication, it became uh, possible uh, to consider removing type 2 containing OPV because the OPV use is so critical and such a cornerstone to achieving polio eradication, both from the, the, the type of immunity it provides, uh, which has a, a different immunity profile than inactivated polio vaccine, and the ability to administer it door to door and really get to every child. And so uh, I think we shouldn't shy away from the fact that we would not have seen the incredible successes of this program if it were not for the the, the very intensive uh, use of oral polio vaccine. But with the eradication of each type, we do have to consider what are the ramifications of the continued use. And as you pointed out with type 2, both for the numbers of uh, circulating vaccine-derived 
polioviruses type 2 that had been seen in the pre-switch era, as well as the type 2 vaccine-associated paralytic polio that was related to the use of that vaccine, both of which were very rare instances, but both on the face of which, in the absence of the wild disease needed to be dealt with, it necessitated a move towards uh, removing uh, the type 2 component of the vaccine. So I'm wondering now, John, if you can move to how the GPEI overall and how CDC in particular is responding to these outbreaks. As I mentioned previously, these circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus outbreaks are a high level of focus for the program right now, and and there's an intensive effort to both uh, respond to them, but also uh, as we respond to them, to continue to improve the delivery of that response. And so there are concerted efforts to ensure that the fastest emergency procedures are applied to each new outbreak and by each agency responding. There is the current development of a new strategy related to the scoping of the outbreaks and the delivery of the vaccines uh, that we're developing currently on the basis of the, the, the evolving epidemiology that we've been seeing in the last several months. And also the partnership has been working for some time on a, a novel OPV for each type of polio, but the, the one that's furthest along is novel oral polio vaccine type 2. And every effort has been made to accelerate the clinical data and the availability of large volumes of that vaccine. And great credit to, to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for accelerating that work and really pressing forward to, to potentially have up to 100 million doses of that vaccine available um, by the middle of 2020, so next year. What is it about that vaccine that could be really important? Well, the vaccine provides the same kind of immunity that we see with the Sabin oral polio vaccine that we currently use. And so if you'll recall, the immunity profile for OPV is different than the immunity profile for IPV. And we believe having this intestinal immunity that's provided by OPV is critical to eradication in the places that remain active for polio transmission. This vaccine uh, provides the right type of immunity as well as the ease of administration uh, because it is an oral vaccine that can be provided door to door in similar fashion to the current vaccine. However, the vaccine has been developed in a way that actually reduces the likelihood of this reversion to the ability to cause disease. That is really important because it would effectively be a vaccine that provides the same kind of immunity in the population, but with a lot less likelihood that we would see the emergence or spread of circulating vaccine-derived polioviruses from those novel OPVs. And so a real incredible amount of work that has been conducted to accelerate this and work at WHO to look at uh, how to, to move from its availability to the approvals to use it quickly once it uh, becomes available. And I think it'll be a real important uh, part of the story over the next uh, 18 months as uh, we move down that path. The last thing I'd like to mention uh, related to this is that partner agencies are also looking at what else they can do to really address this strongly. And here at CDC, in the last few weeks, uh, we made the decision that we really uh, wanted to get more people 
in the field, more of our technical experts in the field to work with countries to really maximize their efforts to deal with these outbreaks. And so in that regard, we took a decision to increase our field staffing by 75 positions for the next six months through uh, a few hundred deployments of staff. And we'll be doing that in areas of countries that currently have circulating vaccine-derived poliovirus type 2 outbreaks, predominantly in Africa uh, at the start. And also, uh, we will be deploying people to adjacent countries to help with case detection and surveillance and readiness, such that if the transmission crosses that border, that we're able to see it quicker and therefore respond more rapidly which will, of course, have positive outcomes towards uh, stopping uh, transmission. So a lot of outbreaks, but a lot of activity to try to contain them as well. How do you see the situation evolving over the next year or so? Well, I won't predict on uh, the number of outbreaks or the number of cases, but I, I think it's fair to say that the current year has been a challenging year in terms of the volume of outbreaks. And I don't think that in the next 12 months we should expect that the work is going to become easier. I think it's going to be a year where we are aggressively responding to all of these current outbreaks. And on top of that, planning towards the timelines that we currently have, planning towards the introduction of NOPV2 and interdigitating that with ongoing uh, response efforts. And so it's going to be a busy year. It wouldn't surprise me if we see more outbreaks. Uh, And I think what people should remember is that this is a hurdle and it's a hurdle that we're addressing now, uh, but we still got to get over that hurdle into the success on the other side. And so we expect it to be quite a busy year for us to address these outbreaks. But the partnership is very focused on this and committed to doing what it takes to see us overcome the hurdle and actually get to the point where we're stopping these outbreaks and and moving forward uh, with the program. Okay, well, thanks very much, John, and thanks for all your hard work. And thank you today for joining today's episode of Take Us Directed, featuring John Vertifay, Polio Eradication Branch Chief and Incident Manager for Polio Emergency Response at CDC. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss our latest episodes. To keep up to date on our latest work, please visit our Global Health Policy Center program page at CSIS.org.